0: Well, good afternoon, all. Good to be back home. But, uh, nothing quite like your own bed at home. <laughs> Travel a while, and you, that's one of the greatest joys of getting back. But it's good to be here with you on the Sabbath. I'll bring you up to date on George a little bit. Uh, at this point, he's in room 429 at the hospital. Uh, room 429, I think that's in the west wing, that's usually where all the patients pretty much are. Uh, they took a biopsy, a, a bit of a bone out of his toe or his foot, I guess, to check because they saw that there was some in, uh, inflammation and so on there. Uh, turns out it showed up a staff infection. I guess you get that from the hospital staff. No. Different spelling, sorry. But uh, often Staphylococcus uh, infections come from a hospital. Very common. Plus, uh, it appears another kind of uh, infection as well. Uh, They didn't name it exactly what it is, I guess, from what I gathered. Uh, But they've got him on antibiotics. He's feeling a lot better. I guess it's knocking the infections down, and his stomach doesn't hurt all the time like it was the last two or three days. He's been kind of relieved of that, and he's eating better, uh, so he's, he's feeling quite a bit better, actually, from everything I gathered. I'll get a chance to go see him maybe tomorrow or Monday and get a little bit better update, but uh, that so far is the way that is. And I'm glad he's feeling better. I guess that's about all there is to announce. No fast coming up next week. (laughs) But we should announce that every week. We don't have one, it seems. But uh, now we do have another one coming up in July. This is getting real close to July, isn't it? But it's toward the end of the month. Well, let's get back into where we were. Uh, I spent some time last week uh, showing that the Sabbath is uh, a very important thing. We went into the importance of it first, how important it is in the plan of God, and then into last week uh beginning into at least the symbolism of the Sabbath and what it means. I got into 2 Peter 3.8, and that whole chapter, really, uh, where Peter was talking about the end time, and God is not short concerning his promise, uh, and said there that that a day is as a thousand years. So when we speak of time in the Bible, uh, there are times when talks about 24-hour day there are times though when it talks about a seven or a thousand year day and that's what we find with the sabbath is that it was the seventh day of creation and it represented the seventh day or seventh thousand year in his plan for man and when you recognize that It makes the Sabbath so much more important because it represents some things that we'll get into in Hebrews in a little bit, uh, which are so important for us. And remember as well, the Sabbath of rest that he gave us is one of the Ten Commandments. It's one of the big ten. Now, Christ said, If you will enter into life, keep the commandments. So, it is one of them. It isn't as obvious as murder, let's say. Uh, The Sabbath comes and goes for most people around the world and they don't even notice it. Saturday shopping day or working day or golf day or whatever. But it means nothing to them. They're not even aware of it. So, It's a test commandment. It is also a salvational commandment. If it's one of the ten and you will live into life, you've got to keep the Sabbath. That means that people who are keeping Sunday or Friday or whatever will not be in the kingdom of God. Because if you don't keep the Sabbath, you're not keeping the Ten Commandments. And I've noticed... Over and over through my years, and early years in the ministry, starting in 66, that there were just an awful lot of people who thought they were good Christians, and yet they didn't keep the Sabbath. Now, does that mean they're bad people, because they keep Sunday or something? That that doesn't necessarily make them bad as a person on a moral basis or whatever, but they're missing out on one of God's most important instructions, one of the ten. It has to be pretty important to be put in that place, and it excludes Protestants from being in the kingdom of God, at least initially. He has a plan and a purpose which is pictured by the Sabbath, to have all those people who never understood the truth, the truth about the Sabbath, and never kept it, to have an opportunity to do so later on. Because I don't think probably anybody in the Methodist church I was in up until I was seven, eight years old, uh, even thought about the Sabbath. They just came to the Methodist church, or the Baptist church, wherever they went, Uh, Because that's what you do on Sunday. (laughs) Uh, They may have had some inkling that the Jews kept Saturday. That would have been about it. Oh, that's something the Jews do. And just pass it off. Not understanding, not knowing history, not knowing the Catholics are the one who started the Sunday worship and made it official throughout Catholicism and the Protestants when they reformed from the Catholics. Didn't change that. They just kept on doing it, and they're, they're very much Catholic still in most of the doctrines. They changed a few things. It was a Protestant Reformation or Reforming, but they didn't get rid of much of the paganism that the Catholics had. So they're still pretty much one. Now, we also saw that Christ is the bread of life, the bread that came down. Uh, the manna was just a symbol of what was to come, and he would be the bread of life. I think I mentioned that uh, that is in the model prayer that he gave for us to pray. And I'm going to go back and look at that a, a little bit again, because there's nothing in that... Uh, prayer, that sample prayer in Matthew 6, that is strictly physical. Beginning in verse 9, After this manner therefore pray you, Our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, he doesn't say, My Father here, you'll notice. He says, Our Father. Because when we pray, and we pray to the Father, we don't pray just for ourselves. We pray for us. It's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Plural. Our Father, not just My Father. A lot of times people's prayers are Pretty personal and pretty selfish in that they think they're just talking to my father. No, he's our father. We're all his children, and we are to love each other as we love ourselves, and therefore when we pray, we're praying not only for ourselves, we're praying for our brothers and sisters. And we need to be conscious of that is the reason I'm bringing this out. We're not just going and saying, my father... You and I, you and me, Lord. A lot of Protestant songs are kind of like that. Just you and me, Lord. I walk in the garden alone when the view is still on the roses and he comes and talks with me. And and no one else has this relationship is the way it goes. Just us. You and me, Lord. Uh, Pretty selfish approach. Pretty bad song. (laughs) Uh, Sweet. Sounds cute, but... Got some bad words there, wrong emphasis altogether. So, pray our Father, and then we hallow His name. Uh, Give Him praise, glory, honor, uh, worship. It's, It's good to remind ourselves when we pray that we're talking to the majesty of the universe. That's important. Uh, it's, it's the most important conversation you'll ever have is with God. So it's a recognition of whom you're going before is what it amounts to. Your kingdom comes. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. When is his kingdom coming? Beginning of the millennium is when he's coming down with the new heavens and the new earth and the father and the son will be here if you don't remember the sabbath a day of rest then you have nothing to remind you or even to tie together with 7,000 years the 7,000 years being the millennium in the kingdom of God on the earth That makes the Sabbath so very, very important that it reminds us of what's coming. It's a symbolic thing. So if we pray for the kingdom, we pray for the millennium, because that's when the kingdom's coming. Very simple. Then the next thing he says, there's some really important things right after this. But the next thing he says is, give us this day our daily bread. Now, is he talking about going to the grocery store and buying bread and God provides what we need so we can go buy bread and potatoes? No. Not at all. Who is our daily bread? Christ said, I am the bread. I am the light. If you don't partake of me, you will not be in eternity with me. So, we need our daily bread from Christ. We need Him living in us, His Spirit in us, walking by His ways and His rules and His way of thinking. So, praying for our daily bread means, Jesus or Emmanuel, be with me, be with us, Uh, because without Him we are nothing, and there is no eternity, immortal life, without Him. He's the gate, He's the way. The only way to be a part of the kingdom of God, and that's why that is put ahead of some of these other things that are important. See, uh, you pray, "Our Father," and ask Him to give us our daily bread, which is Christ living in us, walking in our lives, and then forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from, should say, the evil one. So we get these things in line this way. Hallowed be your name. Then uh, send your kingdom soon, because you and the Son are needed here desperately. (laughs) And look at what's happening on this earth without them. And then give us our daily bread, which is Christ, because He is our Savior. uh, He's our mediator. He's everything important to us in our connection to the Father. We don't pray directly to Him, but we pray our Father, as it says, who is at His right side, and every prayer goes through Him. So really, you're praying to both. Uh, The authority to get to God Himself came when Christ died for our sins and the veil of the temple was rent in twain and that's the first time that people have access to the Father and it's only through Him that we gain that access so we pray in His name to the Father and then he gets down to the relationship between people Father then the Son and then people, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And he makes it clear right after this uh, prayer, next two verses, that he will not forgive us unless we forgive others. It's that simple. We don't like that one. We don't want to follow through with that one sometimes. But if we do not forgive him, he will not forgive us. We, we read all these scriptures about forgiveness and mercy from God, but he's only willing to extend that if we do our part and show that we will forgive others. If we don't, we don't get it. And if you don't get forgiven, there's a lake of fire waiting. <laughs> it's pretty simple language, pretty simple truth. But we like to carry grudges. We like to be mad a year or three later. We don't like to get over things. We don't like to forgive them and forget them. We like to wallow in it because we felt we were wronged in some way, and therefore that wrong has to be fixed. No, it doesn't. There are a lot of people who will do you wrong on this earth, and they'll never apologize, they'll never do anything about it, they just move on. So, you have to forgive them, whether they repent or apologize or anything else. It's your job to forgive the offenses that are there, and you can't make anyone forgive you. You can ask them, and they may or may not. But you've done your part if you forgive them and move on and don't bear grudges, don't bear resentment, just get over it. But sometimes our human nature doesn't want to get over it. There are people who have things against somebody from the time they were six or eight years old. Cousins, brothers, sisters. Never forgive them. It's just a fact of life. Christ says that won't work. Not in His kingdom it won't work. And don't lead us into temptation. God says He does not tempt any man. We're tempted of our own flesh and the devil. But He says, deliver us from the evil one, from Satan. Starts out talking about how we should have our relationship with God... And then being delivered from Satan. These are the most important elements of human life. Just here in these few verses. Uh, For yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. Now you can expand on that. You don't repeat that prayer and those words Every day. That's just a sample prayer. And he, because he says, after this manner. So, the manner is the outline that he gave us here. These are the most important things to pray about. And we should remind ourselves of that as we pray. Uh, you can get into personal things. Uh. Read the Psalms, David got into the personal issues and problems he had, and there was not a problem with that, but be sure that you follow this basic outline of the things that are important to God, and therefore to you, then add the other things. Now, the Sabbath is a particular part of this, because it's the day out of seven Uh, when we rest from other things and devote ourselves to God. Bible study, prayer, meditation, uh, we use it to seek God and to rest from all our other stuff and seek Him. Because without the Sabbath there, it's real easy to get entangled with this, that, the other things. And kind of let God go through the week. Not that we should, but it's a natural thing to do when we get so busy with a thousand things we think we need to get done. But it should be a daily thing. Give us this day our daily bread, notice. We need to approach the Father and the Son and Christ, He being our bread, on a daily basis, but particularly on the Sabbath. Now, I want to go to Hebrews 4 now, uh, because there's so much here in relationship to the symbolism of the Sabbath and what it means to us. Let's pick it up in Hebrews 2 a little bit. Uh, Hebrews is such a deep and wonderful book. Uh, there's so much in here, and a lot of it has to do with our relationship to Christ and to the kingdom of God. But he's talking about man and how God has made man to be important. He's made them us for a little while lower than the angels, even as he did Christ, so he could die. Uh, now, he said he spoke to us by the prophets in chapter 1, but... Paul, thinking it was in the last days, said, but in these last days, he's given us Christ. So the New Testament was written as a direct result of his teachings to the disciples who became apostles and wrote down the words of Christ for us. So, he is central to our salvation without going into a great deal of detail here in chapter 1. But because of this, he says at the beginning of 2, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. What we've learned, we need to be very, very careful to keep and not neglect so great a salvation, Chapter or verse 3. Uh, he gave us signs and wonders, which are recorded in Acts 2 and other places. In verse 6, he says, In a certain place, it says, What is man that you are mindful of him? We're just little specks down here on the earth. Uh, God is so much more powerful and so far above than everything. Why do you visit man? What's, what's important about man? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of your hands. He gave Adam and Eve a great deal of responsibility there in Genesis by putting them over the animals and uh, the creation, and we're told to dress and keep it and make it a good place, not let it get out of hand. You put all things in subjection under his feet. And verse nine, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. His life being so much greater than ours, that it, his death and his blood could cover all of us. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. So he suffered a great deal on this earth, he was a man of sorrows in many respects uh, because he carried the weight of what he was doing, uh, weight of all man's sins as he walked through life. And he told us that we would suffer as well and have many afflictions, uh, to teach us and to help us learn humility, meekness, love, kindness, and not the works of the flesh. And he says, We're one with him in verse 11. Verse 14 For as much then as the ch- children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. That through death, he might destroy him that had put the power, that had the power of death, that is the devil. Satan has killed a lot of people, and Satan is about to kill a whole lot more people. Uh, so he's had that power. But Christ has power over death, and can resurrect those that Satan has killed, and will. I did not say, unless you heard it that way, that all these Methodists and Baptists and Church of Christ and Mormons and Catholics and all these people uh, would not be in the kingdom of God. They won't be in the kingdom of God in their present state. And God has provided a way in the last great day of the feast for those people to be resurrected to physical life and truly taught about God's way and have an opportunity to follow it. So it doesn't matter on this life whether they lived a day or a hundred years and didn't know the truth, they will have an opportunity to learn it and an opportunity to live with it. Most of my relatives are in that category. They lived their lives on this earth and never knew God, the true God. They might have been religious, but it wasn't God's religion. You have to have the truth, and the truth is in here, and they don't follow this. They don't read it much. Uh, Catholics discourage reading the Bible, and they made their own translation, which is quite a bit different, but still very pagan. The Mormons hardly read the Bible at all. They use the Book of Mormon for the most part. Uh, Methodists and Baptists use maybe ten verses of the Bible, (laughs) maybe a few more than that, but Uh, They don't certainly read every word of God and live by every word of God. But these people will all have a chance. And if we're part of the Bride of Christ, they will be God's and our children, and we will help raise them according to God's way, way, and most people will ultimately be saved, just not in the first resurrection. Now, 16, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like to his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself is Suffered being tempted, is able to succor them that are tempted. He's been through it. When he was here on this earth, he was tempted in all points like as we are. I have run into people through the years who do do not believe that. Well, if he was God, he could have been tempted to sin. Well, being tempted is not sin. Being tempted is Satan or your human nature trying to get you to sin. And if you dwell on something that is wrong for very long, it becomes at least a spiritual sin, and it can turn into a physical sin. But he was tempted in all points like as we are. And I will go so far as to say, he had every temptation that any man or woman, a human being, has ever had, and he probably had it in a stronger way than anyone. Now, someone were to come up and say, yeah, but I was more tempted than he was. What if he had a valid case? What if Christ's drive or desire to sin was less than this man's? That would give the guy an excuse. Yeah, but I was tempted worse than he was. That'll never happen. So that means to me... His desire or temptation to sin was as great as anyone's ever was. Whether it be food and drink sins, sex sins, it doesn't matter. Everything that you or any human being has ever been tempted to do, He has been tempted to do only more so. And He never gave in. We were tempted less and did give in. On so many things. So his sacrifice is greater than all of our sins put together or our temptations. But when it says he was tempted in all points as like as we are, it means it. It has to be. It can't be any other way. <clears throat> Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Now this is an important point here, that he was faithful in everything, and he makes a big point of it. It tells us in verse 6 to hold fast, to confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm unto the end. Don't give up, don't lose hope, Wherefore, the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And then he goes to the temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Now, I'm not getting away from the Sabbath here. This is important to the Sabbath, as we'll see as we go on, because they murmured about not having food and water, and then he tested them about the Sabbath with their food, their manna. Would it spoil or would it not spoil, depending on when they took it and how much they took. So he was teaching them about the Sabbath and... He was grieved over their disbelief. You know, they goofed. He says, pick it up this day, don't pick it up tomorrow. And they did anyway. And it bred worms and stank. It spoiled very rapidly. So the Sabbath was all a very important point of that 40 years in the wilderness. He'll talk about it here in just a minute as we go go on down. When your fathers tempted me, verse 9, proved me and saw my works forty years. They saw him provide manna, quail, water. Forty years. It came. It was there. They didn't quit eating manna until the day after they went in the promised land. I was grieved with that generation and said they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. Now, they may have understood physical instructions and direction, but they didn't have it in their hearts, and they didn't understand his ways. Why are we doing this? They didn't really get it in their hearts. It's important for us not just to keep keep it because it says it on page 346 or something. It's important to keep it because we understand it and know what it means and what it's for because it is all having to do with whether we live eternally or not. And their example there was that they were all to die in the wilderness because they didn't get it. It was symbolic for us. So I swore in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. Now, the promised land was a form of rest. They'd been in slavery all that time. Now, they were to go into the promised land and rest from slavery. But he didn't let them do that. He let them wander until their carcasses dropped and their kids went in. Why? He says, take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you in an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Belief and unbelief is a critical issue. Do we believe God, or do we not believe God? He says, well, I find faith when I return to the earth. What is faith? It's belief. It's belief in the Father and the Son, that they're telling us the truth, and that they're going to do what they said they'd do. And if we don't have faith, it's impossible to please him, it says. You can't do it without belief. So don't have a heart of unbelief and say, oh, this can't be so. Come on, this doesn't mean science. <laughs> but exhort one another daily while it is called Today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. but we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. When we first started learning the truth and about the kingdom of God and the future and all that it means, it was exciting. But over time, you can eh, kind of forget the zeal, the excitement, About these things. But what else is there? What else is there if there's nothing after this life? Why have religion at all? You don't need religion if it doesn't mean something. If it doesn't take you somewhere. You're just going through a bunch of rules and treading in place. Unless it means something. So, if you come to believe it means something, then you ought to be excited about it. And as we get older on this earth and we get closer to our physical death, it ought to really burn it into us that we need something more. Because we're getting old and decrepit and crippled and sick and all these things. And we know, I didn't know I was going to die when I was 20. Well, I did. I knew it said all men will. But at 20, I wasn't anywhere near it, I didn't think. I survived a lot of things, but nonetheless, when you're young, that's a long way off. But I'll tell you what, from being young to being old is not a long way off. (laughs) You get old quicker than you think you will. And then you're facing physical death within a year or five or ten or whatever, and you think seriously about... Is this all there is? If there's not more than this, uh, I don't want to be there. Not only that, as we get old and sick, we don't want to even be here very badly. You get to the point where this life doesn't mean near as much as it did. Don't get excited about a lot of things that you might have got excited about 40, 50, 60 years ago. Um Yeah, been there, done that. But we have to hold fast and not harden our hearts, as in the provocation. They provoked God. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, albeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But who was he grieved with? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness. Those are the ones he was grieved with. Now, I think they're in the category of those who will be resurrected to physical life in the great white Throne judgment and given an opportunity at the Spirit of God and Jesus living in them and have an opportunity at salvation. They were not given an opportunity for salvation back there. They were given an opportunity for the promised land with physical blessings, but they were not given the opportunity for eternal life. And everyone has to be given that. So even those people, even though they upset God and he let them fall in the wilderness and not go into his rest, they'll have a chance at eternal good rest, not dead rest. Okay, verse 18. And to whom swore he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Lack of faith. Lack of trust. Lack of willingness to obey God and find his favor and mercy and forgiveness. That wasn't in them. They didn't believe. You brought us out here to kill us. You, you're going to let us die of thirst. You're going to let us die of starvation. Whatever. They just didn't believe God. Now, we're in a different circumstance today. Do we believe God when he says we could enter into his rest? Not the rest of the physical promised land. We may for a few years here, but I don't mean eternally. Then chapter 4 is where he gets into the real symbolism. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us, left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. So he's saying to New Testament Christians, there is a promise of entering the rest of God. Not the wilderness of old, but a rest that we have to look forward to from this chaos and misery and frustration on this earth. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as to them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. God's going to deliver us. Okay, that sounds good. But they didn't really believe it. And as soon as they got on the other side of the Red Sea, which should have really opened their eyes. They still didn't believe it. But you didn't bring me water over here. Where's the water truck? No faith. No real belief in God. You know, belief in God requires believing something you can't see. We'll get into that here in a little bit. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, we enter into rest one day of the week, the Sabbath. We are already entering that rest. I I hope we see that here in this verse. We enter into rest, but we're still looking for a rest to come. In other words, this weekly Sabbath pictures... A rest that is yet ahead. A day represents a thousand years. A thousand years of the millennium is the true rest that comes at the end of six years of man and Satan. We get rest from that. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath that they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. See, they entered into the Sabbath rest, and he made that point to them very early, as soon as the manna came. The Sabbath is important because it pictured what? Them entering into the promised land, into his rest. And we have the Sabbath today as one in seven that points to the 7,000 years, the seventh of them, as the time of his rest. So when we keep the Sabbath here, it is a picture of that which is to come. And that should be a part of our Sabbath keeping or observance is understanding what it means for our future. The Sabbath isn't just for today. People say, well, I need to work on Saturday or I need to play golf on Saturday or I need to do this or that on Saturday. But they're missing the point that this pictures a thousand years of peace and prosperity and security for everyone that is left. So it pictures a good time. It's easy to remember bad times. It's easy to think about bad times in the past. But that's not our focus. Our focus, focus is on the good times of the future. So the Sabbath is here to remind us of the future not just to keep us from doing what we want to do. Uh, We have to believe there is a future for mankind and for us. And every Sabbath is here to remind us of the good things that he has in store for us if we don't make him angry and not have faith. But to believe that this is coming. I can't see it. Can you? I can imagine it. I can read the scriptures and use them to teach my mind some of the things that are coming. And I can see them in mind's eye because I understand what's going to be. But I've got to believe that. It does no good unless you believe it. Didn't enter in because of unbelief. So we enter in. And he tells us that. Clearly here in verse 4, for he spoke in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. That's right there in Genesis. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, said that in another place, Psalm 96, 11 is one of them. Seeing, therefore, it remains that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Israel were the ones it was first preached to, and they didn't believe. So the Sabbath is very, very much tied to belief in God. You can't see the Sabbath. You can see murder. You can see idolatry. You can see physical things. But the Sabbath isn't something you can view. It is, it's not an elephant. You know, you can see an elephant. You can't see the Sabbath. You have to trust and believe that God established it for a very, very important reason. And if you believe that and understand that, then you keep it in reverence, in awe. You hallow it. You keep it holy because you understand that. Again, he limited a certain day, verse 7, saying in David, today, after so long a time, and today is capitalized, uh, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. The Sabbath is the one of the Ten Commandments that people hate the most. They just, for some reason, there is a, an attitude about the Sabbath. Tell me I shouldn't steal. Tell me I shouldn't kill. Some of these things, I can see that. That makes sense. That's logical. But the Sabbath, they can't see. And it's something you have to take on faith. That it pictures something to come that is more important than anything here that we have today. So today should be capitalized. Verse 8, For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? So it only pictures something to come. There remains, therefore, a rest to the people of God. Now, he said that the seventh day is one that we enter into. So, we enter into that rest every week. But this is speaking of the future. There remains a rest to the people of God. Something different than keeping the weekly Sabbath, or the holy days. For he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall at the same example of unbelief. The millennial rest is to come, and let us labor to be there. For the word of God is quick and a powerful and sharper, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of the of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. These words, this book, this Bible, uh, can pick us apart (laughs) and show what we really are. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You can't hide a thing from God. It's all there. And he can read your heart and your mind. So don't think you can deceive him. You may deceive yourself, but you can't deceive him. (coughs) Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open to him. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. It's not just some things we believe. Christianity is a profession. It's something that you do in order to live. Now, we have professions on this earth physically, architectures, lawyers, uh, whoever. Those are professions that people follow. So that what? They may have money to live, to eat, to get around, and so on. Our profession is to follow God's rules so that we can live forever with everything we need. So we have to be professional about it. Not sloppy. Not taking our time. Not doing things our way. But doing things God's way. Following the rules. Be a professional if you want to be in the kingdom of God. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. We should have such a great respect for him, because all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all yielded to one kind of temptation or another throughout our lives, and he never did. What awe and respect we should have. Because you, at your very best, when you were trying to not do what you were tempted to do, Weren't too good at it. We failed so many times in our lives in so many ways. And he never did. Wow. (laughs) And he was tempted just as much as we are. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. His grace, his help when we have need. Because he's there, set the perfect example, and he knows exactly what we go through. He went through it. He just didn't ever give in. That's the difference between him and us. Now let's go to Romans 1. Romans 1. You might think, what does this have to do with the Sabbath? But it actually does have a lot to do with the Sabbath. I don't want to spend too much time going through the whole chapter, but uh, Paul opens this book uh, and gives his credentials. And then he gives Christ credit for everything in verses 3 and 4 and so on. Uh, Verse 6, "...among whom are you also the called of Jesus Christ?" And he's writing this to all that are in Rome, called to be saints." Uh, and so he he goes through this uh, beginning and says he's longed to see them. Then down in verse 12, that is, that I might be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Belief, faith, trust, is what he brings up here. How can we trust God? How can we have belief? How can we do what he's talking about? Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come to you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am better both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So, uh, these were Gentile peoples, mostly, in Rome. So, he's giving them... Uh, uh, respect that they should have. And that he should preach the gospel to those that were Rome also. For I'm not ashamed, verse 16, of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Belief, again. you got to believe it. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. If you don't believe something, it's really hard to accomplish it. Isn't that true? Anybody that does physical things on this earth and accomplishes beyond average or normal, they have to really believe in something if you're going to go try to be an Olympic track star, you have to believe with all your heart that you can do that. And in that belief, you then practice and practice and practice. Sometimes 8, 10, 12 hours a day they practice at what they're trying to do. And you're not going to put in that kind of effort and that kind of interest unless you really believe it's going to happen. Now, somebody else might look at you and laugh and say, they aren't Olympic material. They don't have the kind of skill that is required to be that. But they believe it. And there are some who did not have enough skill who overcame and went anyway, and in some cases won. Because they believed that much and put that much into it. But if somebody doesn't believe they're going to be there and do it, they won't put it in, you know. Somebody says, I think I'll sign up for the Olympics this year. Okay, what's your practice schedule? Ah, I'll just go. <laughs> no, it don't work that way. You don't learn to play a, play a piano that way. <laughs> Take some practice. So if you want to be in the kingdom of God, you have to believe that it is possible, and you have to believe that if you do the things you're supposed to do, it will happen. You need that strong a belief in order to be part of the kingdom of God. Without faith, again, it is impossible to please Him. But just to live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. They may even have some truth, but they will not follow it and be righteous. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for he has showed it to them. Some people have been showed the truth. And they would not accept it, would not believe it. They hold that truth, but they don't follow it, and therefore they're holding it in unrighteousness, not righteousness. Now notice, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made Even his eternal power and Godhead so they are without excuse. Here's where the Sabbath begins to come into this. Six days, he did a lot of creating. And on the seventh day, he created the Sabbath. Now, of all the things that he created, nearly all of them, we can see, can't we? We see the sun, we see the moon, we see the stars, we see the elephants and snakes, we see the grass and flowers and trees. We see all these things that are manifestation of what God has done. And it is only logical that there had to be something greater than all these things who made them. They didn't evolve from lower nothingness into the complexity that is around us without some mastermind having the power and the ability to create it. I believe someone made this light. I don't believe for a moment that somebody dropped a pebble here on the desk, and a week later, this light was here. It came from the rock. No. I don't believe that. You and I have all dreamed about things that we would like to do or things we'd like to make or construct. Unless we actually got out there and did it, it never appeared. I I really believe that automobiles are made by people. Well, maybe robots now. But somebody smarter than metal and plastic and rubber had to put that all together and make something. I, I just know that. I believe that with all my heart. Because I've seen where they're made. <laughs> I've seen it done. I know. Besides that, it just doesn't make any sense that it just appeared. But one in my driveway then. Can I drop a couple rocks over there in the driveway and next week I'll have a nice new car? I don't think so. Somebody has to make it and i got to go buy it. That, we don't have trouble believing that, do we? And yet we have an earth that we live on that is so much more complicated, everything so much more interwoven than an automobile that there's no comparison. So many things depend on something else to even survive. Hummingbirds kind of need flowers, you know. They couldn't survive without the food they get, unless you give them some sugar water, which is probably not really good for them anyway, but so what? Nonetheless, everything had to be made from something. And God says that the things He made have to be understood by the things that are made. So we can understand God through the creation. Now, as I said, everything we see around us is something He made. But there's something He made that we don't see. That's the Seventh day Sabbath. You can't see it, you can't feel it, you can't touch it, it's just invisible. You'd never know it was there unless somebody told you that's the day that I created for me and for spiritual things in the future. The 7,000 years of millennium and peace. You just wouldn't see it. It isn't visible. But he's saying that the invisible things of him from the creation are clearly seen. We see the Sabbath because he told us about it. And he told us to keep it. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Now we're beginning to talk about mankind who was shown truth and rejected it and did their own thing. And that's what's going on around us everywhere today. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of His, of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man to birds, four-footed beasts, and creeping things. In other words, they began to worship the things that are here that they can see instead of God whom they can't see. Or his keeping his Sabbath, which they can't see. They begin to worship what they can see. Mother Gaia. They worship earth. They worship animals on the earth and put them on a level higher than humans. And there are people, billionaires today, actively trying to kill off the people and save the birdies. That's what they're doing. It's right here. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who exchanged the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creation, Gaia, more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. They worship elephants and squirrels and each other, make idols of ourselves, For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. So he addresses homosexuality very clearly here, and says that because they began to worship the earth and the animals and themselves, they completely forget God, and they forget the natural uses that God made. And that's where homosexuality comes from. Boy, is it becoming rampant today. Now it's taken over everything. But it's weird. It's queer, to use the word. It's ungodly completely. Now, they're getting where they'll put you in jail for saying that, but that's what God says. That's what's, it's here. Vile affections. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, completely forgot how God made us, what he made us for, and while they're trying to figure out whether they're gender 14 or 53, the world's coming apart around them. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, To do those things which are evil, inconvenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, got unnatural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. They live it, they do it, but then they take pleasure and go to movies and porn and all kinds of things to get pleasure out of other people doing this stuff the same way. It's pitiful. But God is invisible and so is the Sabbath. You have to believe in God and you have to believe in his Sabbath. It's one of the Ten commandments, one of the ten commandments, and you have to keep the commandments if you will enter into life. And the Sabbath pictures the beauty of the thousand. 7,000 years, or the seventh year, thousand years, as the time of God's rest, when the whole world will rest. Satan will be bound. We will have people, spirit beings, who will come and tell us when we start to sin, uh uh, don't do that. So you get reminded. And people will have a lot better chance at salvation under those conditions than they do today. But the things we just read, they're wild around us everywhere. This world has gotten to be a very, very unfriendly place to live. And it is against God in every way. We have to believe Him. And when He says you got to keep the Sabbath, we better believe Him. <laughs> because it is important and has great symbolism for the future and for the security and happiness of all mankind to survive the Holocaust that is about upon us. It's so very, very important. God rested, and we should enter into His rest. And then, eternally, the rest of being immortal, eternal, no more tears, no more pain, no more death, none of these things that face us today will we ever face again if we ever enter into His rest. That's why it's so important to enter it every week, to remind us. And we should think about it. What does this day mean? Why am I sitting here instead of out there working? Because I'm thinking about the things that are to come and I'm bolstering my belief in it, my faith in it, my hope in it, so that I don't give up hope and give up eternity so the sabbath is symbolically very very important in our future and we need to be very very aware of that so that's enough for today